when I got to like when our year finished up, I kind of just like packaged that as like, oh, that was just stupid decision making. Like that was, you know, temporary. That was for that period of time. Like I'm just going to continue on with my life and things will be normal. Um, But it didn't stay that way. Welcome to Undiscussed, the show where we talk about things Christians should talk about, but often don't. This week, we discuss addiction and alcoholism with Julie Baynard. Welcome to the Undiscussed, uh, a podcast where we talk about the things Christians should talk about. Uh, My name is Patrick. And I'm Eric, and we are your co-hosts. And uh, today in the studio, we've got Julie with us. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. We're really excited to have you, Julie. And uh, one of the topics that we would like to discuss that is undiscussed is uh, that topic of addiction. And uh, it seems to be something that, that Christians and churches and um, we're aware of. We talk about it very minimally, but it's almost like a we don't know how to talk about it. And so uh, we're going to have a conversation with Julie today. Yeah, we wanted to talk to you, you Julie, specifically, because recently you wrote a blog post about this, mm-hmm. a series of blog posts, actually, that were super compelling. And I'm, I'm a skim reader, like even with stuff that I like, I just kind of like look at the title, like look at the first words of the mm-hmm. paragraphs and kind of make my way through as fast as possible. But I read every single word of your blogs because they were just so like vulnerable and open. And it was something that I was like, yeah, people must be struggling with this. Like Julie's not alone mm-hmm. in this. Um, and I really hope that like other people resonate and it's, they seem to have resonated because a lot of people, uh, have shared a little bit, um, uh, of your post. Like you got a lot of shares, you got a lot of comments. What, what was the reception um, that you had to that initially? Um, it was taken really well, actually. Um, initially when I was posting it, it was more out of, uh, like I have some friends and there's acquaintances that know this about me, but they don't know the story behind it. Um, and I felt like, oh, they're probably just making a lot of assumptions, Um, And it gave me the chance to kind of fully explain what was going on kind of behind the scenes. Um, So, yeah, it was received really well, um, which, yeah, definitely vulnerable to, like, put that out there. Um, But realizing that, like, I can't be the only one, even though it felt like it. Um, So, yeah, received really well, got a lot of good feedback. um, And really cool to know that even, like, because there's a lot of people that obviously haven't struggled with this um, that responded, but even hearing them say that like it's kind of given them a new perspective uh, was really great to hear. Yeah, I I was able to read a little bit of it, and you may have noticed a, a recent friend request. Yes, I did see that. <laughs> yes, uh, that was entirely to try and get. I uh, I figured <laughs> the four one one on the blog, and uh, yeah, really compelling, really challenging, and uh, yeah, it made me curious and excited about this interview because I've known you for a little while, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, not super deeply or, you know, you've lived uh, out out east and and I live in Ontario and that complicates things. But uh, what would you say were some of the um, motivations, uh, you covered some of this, but what were some of the motivations for writing the blog? Um, well, more recently, so since moving back to Ontario, I haven't really been in any sort of like recovery communities. Um, just cause like, it kind of feels like a life sentence. Like when you're younger, like it's not fun to spend your Friday night, like sitting in a meeting. So for me, the writing process was like helping me like understand and just like process things. Like even though it's, it'll be three years in June that I stopped drinking. Like there, it's not like it's something that just gets left in the past. Like there's still those like obsessive thoughts. Like there's still like, it's, it's not something that I can just like kind of leave like, Oh, it's been three years. Like can close that chapter of my life. Um, so for me, the writing was to help myself understand more, um, and to put words to this thing in my life that like, I still don't fully understand that a lot of Christians don't understand. Um, and it was also for, um, just in terms of, um, helping the people that know me know how they can be supportive, um, in a sense, because a lot of like friends, a lot of, um, family, they don't know how they can best be there for people going through this just because they don't understand it. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, 
you know, obviously today we're talking about addiction uh, and specifically alcohol addiction with Julie. And, uh, you know, before we dive totally in, I'd love to just kind of hear a bit about your story, your background. Who are you? Um, you know, what kind of, you know, family environment did you grow up in? Those sorts of things. Because you're, as you say, you're not just your addiction. You're not just this uh, mm-hmm. person for the last three years. You you have a story. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I grew up in a Christian family, going to church, doing the, the youth group thing. Um, really great family, like super supportive parents. Um, just a side note, like never seen, like growing up, I never saw my parents drink at all. Like in, even in my adult life, I could probably count on one hand the number of times that I've seen them drink. Um, so super great family. Uh, went off to university, uh, went to university in Ottawa. Um, and up until that point, like faith, it was just kind of like this meh thing. Like we went to church and I felt like I was a good person. Um, in university in my first year, I got involved with the student ministry to be able to tell my parents I was still doing Christian things, but like it, it wasn't a priority. It's not like I went to church or anything during first year. Um, but it was being part of Christian community of people that uh, had a genuine faith and belief in God that really kind of started to pique my curiosity. Um, so then I became, like, actually became a Christian uh, beginning of my second year of university and then got really involved in this student ministry and was a part of like Bible study groups. And then in my third and final year, I was part of kind of the student leadership and getting really involved that way um, and ended up doing some internships and joining staff with uh, the student ministry I was involved in. Sounds like a pretty relatable uh, upbringing to me. Mm-hmm. It actually mirrors my experience uh, pretty closely. And uh, I, I think we live in a culture where uh, drinking is kind of like a, a social, you know, laid back, acceptable yeah, yeah, thing. Definitely. Like, like my, I know a lot of people who just do it kind of on the weekends and that kind of thing. Um, but for you, you mentioned you've never really had an, like a normal, quote unquote, relationship with alcohol Mm -hmm. when did that first become apparent to you I guess now in retrospect yeah um so in hindsight like I see even from like the first time I ever like drank or like was legal and could buy alcohol uh just my thoughts towards alcohol it was never normal um so for example um if like I was going to be going out to you know a pub for dinner and drinks with friends I would like skip a meal just so the alcohol would hit faster or like even my thought process was like there's no point in even having a drink if you're not going to have enough to like hit that like buzz or like tipsy um because otherwise like there's there's no point why waste the money um sort of thing and that was like going back to like the first time I ever drank alcohol and like drank it slowly enough that like you got to the point of like oh like my cheeks are kind of rosy like things are feeling a little loose. Um, like I was in, I was in Britain actually. Um, and that was like, you know, fireworks going off of like, this is awesome. Like, why don't people do this more often? Um, sort of mentality, which like at the time I just figured, well, everyone feels this way. And like, as a Christian, like that's where you self control and like, don't get drunk sort of mentality. And that just like, and then in university, like I was capped by the fact that when you're drinking in a group with other Christians, it's like, I'm very aware of my surroundings. Like don't, Mm -hmm. don't push the line too far that like they're going to then start judging me. Um, and like when you're a student, you don't have a lot of money. Yeah. Natural barriers to drinking a lot. And I think one of the tricky things with alcohol is when am I drunk? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I I don't get drunk. Okay. You know, I'm just going to drink three or yeah. four or you know yeah. you have this arbitrary number yeah and that grows over time yeah. and, and like th- you can you think you're completely sober-minded like three four drinks in like yeah like I've never thought more clear in my life which is not true yeah a lot of people I think even have that that barrier it's just a, a line in the sand like well I can drink as much as I want as long mm-hmm. as I don't get drunk um and as long as you stay on the safe side of that line then uh then everything's fine Yeah. Um, And then one thing, another thing I noticed was, so um, a lot of times alcoholism is described as an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. So you're the, the more you drink, the thirstier you get. So, you know, one, two drinks in, like I need more, I need more. Um, Which like in contrast, like when I'm having any other drink, like I'll have two cups and be like, okay, like I'm full, like I've had enough, but alcohol, like there's never an amount that it's like, okay, that's enough. 
Um, yeah, you never hear of someone crushing like a 12-pack of Coke Zero or something yeah, exactly. in an afternoon. <laughs> and like I love Coca-Cola, but I'll have two and be like, okay, that's like... Yeah, I feel gross. I hit my max. Yeah, I need to brush my teeth and go to bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> They're crushing sponsors. Um, yeah, so in, in university you had, you know, those moments where you like you drink casually, but uh, even in the back of your mind you never had like a, a really good... Um, I guess, relationship or with it. Mm-hmm. Was there a specific moment where it, it kind of started to begin affecting your life a little bit more or was there a season of, of your time when that happened? Um, yeah, so this would have been, so I had graduated university and I was in my second internship with uh, this student ministry and I was on a team that was going around and launching new student ministries. Um, so we were like, it was kind of a crazy year. We traveled to four different provinces and we're, kind of all over the place. You're in a like new city every every month. And it was in January of that year, we were staying in this small town out east. And um, just out of um, kind of necessity with rental car situations, um, only three or two out of our like five people could drive the car. We were staying in this little cottage that like right on the ocean in the dead of winter. It would have been beautiful in the summertime, but like we're talking like dead of, you know, Atlantic winter. Um, so there was the, like this feeling of being trapped and just like not a lot of mobility. Um, it was our kind of like first night, first weekend at this little cottage. We're all staying there as a team and uh, we we're bored, we we're snowed in. And we just kind of started exploring the place, figure out like, what's around here, what, what can we do? And we found some leftover rum, I'm assuming from like the previous people there. Um, so we were all enjoying some Coke and rum. And um, I had definitely a little more rum than Coke. <laughs> um, but in that moment, it's like there was this switch of like, oh, right, like I forgot how amazing this is to just like liven life up or just like, you know, just like chill out, take the edge off. Um, and this doesn't have to be in social situations. like. You can just do this by yourself. That's fine. Like people do that all the time. That's completely normal. Um, and that's where there is this switch of like, I, I then started to drink um, by myself and with or like or with people, but they weren't aware. Like pour some rum in a Coke bottle, and people just think it's Coke. Um, so that's where there like, there was a, a major switch in my thinking, just in terms of like, okay, I can do this by myself, and also I'm not limited by like a student budget. Were you were you aware that that switch had taken place, or is it only in retrospect that you're like, oh, I can identify? I think I was aware that like this probably isn't like the smartest thing, but it's not also horrible. Um, but in retrospect, I I don't think I realized how much of a switch had kind of taken place. Because even like when I got to like when our year finished up, I kind of just like packaged that as like, oh, that was just stupid decision making. Like that was you know, temporary, that was for that period of time, like, I'm just going to continue on with my life and things will be normal. Um, but it didn't stay that way. Yeah. So that was the, the point when you kind of associated like, oh, alcohol definitely makes life more fun. Mm-hmm. And if I can make life more fun with my friends, why not like without my friends as well? It just yeah, makes exactly. fun in every situation. Yeah. And then, but at that point you would have never like thought of yourself as an alcoholic, just someone who's like, oh, maybe I should, you know, do this a little less or like just, yeah. yeah or like it was like well like I know tons of Christians that like have a drink at the end of the day like I can do that too yeah. as long as I'm not getting drunk like this is completely fine right, uh, yeah. and there's no amount of like guilt or conviction over that it was like okay like I'm moving on from that like that was for that set period of time and the next stage of your life you spent overseas and in some ways this maybe set the stage for how you viewed alcohol or treated it in that uh, situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, just so you're aware. So between when this like traveling team ended was the summer I was at home support raising um, and I didn't drink very frequently, but when I did drink, it was always alcoholically and that like I always had more than I planned to and again like that thirst of like oh just like just one more like I'm thirsty I need to quench this um did you ever enjoy the drinks like did you like the taste of these drinks at all um, or was it just a means to an end there at one point so as I mentioned I really like coke and at one point I was like this rum is like ruining the taste of coke so (laughs) I'm just gonna drink the rum by itself 
Um, <laughs> so that, like that makes sense. Diluting the delicious yeah. flavor of Coke Zero <laughs> or Coke or whatever. Classic Coca Cola. Classic Coke. Yeah. Um, Who drinks Coke Zero? I don't know. Weird guys, probably like myself. But I know uh, one person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and there was that switch or like any time that I was going at friends, it was like, I don't care about the, like, let's just go for the highest alcohol percentage. Right. Yeah. Um, or like eventually hit the point of like, like liquor because it's a smaller amount of liquid to get the same effect. Yeah. More bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the summer. I didn't drink as frequently, but when I did drink, it was alcoholically. Um, and then I moved overseas and was in Uganda for a year doing ministry, um, which um, like throughout this time, like kind of praying about like, do I join this ministry here in Canada? Um, but didn't really feel peace about that. And this opportunity to do ministry overseas kind of popped up. So I was praying about that and felt like God was leading me over there. Um, just, to, you know, you just mentioned praying about it. How would you say alcohol was affecting your relationship with God at this time? Like, were you, was it having any effect? Um, so up until like, this is like pre moving to Uganda, it didn't really have much of an impact. Like the couple times were like, I was like aware, like, yeah, I had too much to drink, like during this um, traveling year. And like there was uh, repentance and like, okay, God, like help me to not do that. Like film with Holy Spirit, like give me self-control. Um, but there wasn't really any guilt. Like they're um, continuing to like drink occasionally, but still like it, it wasn't, it didn't cross over into having a, a impact on my relationship with God yet, which in hindsight, I'm like, how, like, I don't see how that kind of like can happen, like those two simultaneous things, um, which is part of like the disease itself. Like it completely skews what is um, like a lie from what is truth, um, which is one of like the marks of it as a disease of like, just like your thought life is completely dis distorted. Um, yeah. So sorry, I cut you off there. You were, you were on yeah. your way to Uganda. <laughs> I just... Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> That was a curiosity question. Yeah, for more sure. Than, more than anything, um, which I I'll, I'll I'll get more into that later because it definitely like when it in Uganda at a certain point it like started to have a huge impact. Um, so yeah, um, went to Uganda and initially like usually when you're moving overseas they talk about like culture shock and like the different phases of that and usually there's a honeymoon phase at the beginning and I just went straight to like. I don't like this place. This is not what I was expecting. Why am I here? Um, like the first night, so we kind of like bought everything and took over everything from a previous Canadian team that was there. And we get to our uh, compound, our house that would be where we'd be living for the year. And like I sit on the couch and I'm like, that's like the most uncomfortable couch I've ever sat on in my life. That's a bad story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then like I go lay down on my bed and like it, it's foam mattresses. Um, and I lay down and I feel like the wood slats under it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to feel physically comfortable in this country. Um, and in that moment, it was like, if I'm never going to feel physically comfortable, I'm also like, it's not like I have like friends here who can comfort me. Like alcohol was that comfort. So right away, there's this culture shock that's hit. Um, I'm like having these like regrets of like, God, like, what am I doing here? Like, I felt like you were leading me here and this is not at all what I was expecting. Um, and then to be in a country that is developing where, um, being a foreigner, being a white person, like people want to be your friend because of those two aspects, not because they want to know you, not because that you like, you have common interests. Um, so to feel like almost used, um, to not feel seen, like I had just met like my team the week before we left to go to Uganda. Um, we didn't really have a lot of contact with um, Canadians back home in terms of support. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of direction in country. And so there was all these things compiling that like, and I, I felt anger towards God, but I didn't actually know how to direct it like at him. And like, I was feeling these things that I didn't want to feel. And alcohol was like, it was there physically. And like, it could change how I was feeling. Like if I just came from a horrible day on campus, like alcohol could completely change my mood. Um, cause like, I felt like God had led me to this place. I wanted to go up until the point where I was actually in that country. 
And I, I wanted to be happy to be there. I wanted to enjoy what I was doing. I wanted to like not be having conflict with my team. Um, and I wanted to change all that and I didn't know how, and I didn't know how to sit in that and process it. And like alcohol was this solution that like had, um, kind of slowly been changing, like how I deal with things, um, since that, like January, since I ever began, like even had my first drink. Yeah. Would you, would you say there's almost like, uh, I deserve this. I deserve to feel good in this moment. I deserve to enjoy myself. I'm sacrificing. I'm here in Uganda. You know, I, I deserve a drink. It, it wasn't necessarily that I deserve the drink, but I don't want to let my team down. I don't want to let these people have this, that have supported me to go here. Like, I don't want to let them down. Cause like during this time, like I'm still functional, I'm still doing my job. Um, I don't like, I feel like I have like, in a sense, betrayed God of like, you, you led me to this thing and I can't handle it. Um, which in, even in that, like up until that point, I would have prided myself on being this person that's like pretty laid back, pretty flexible. Like I can handle a lot. Um, and then to get there and not be able to, like one of the ways that I would have characteristically described myself was like no longer real. And then with dealing with the culture shock, I just felt like this super like crappy worst version of myself. Um, so like even in like our team with getting to know each other, like I'd always have an answer for like in Uganda, but then like back home it would be different. Cause like I felt like I was a different person. Um, and with not wanting to let people down with, like feeling like I was betraying God. It was like, well, I can change how I'm feeling. Like I can, I can force myself to be happy to be here. Um, and that's how like I started using alcohol that way. Mm-hmm. Did it, it seem to you like, um, your habits, your drinking habits in Uganda were maybe like the, only the, because you were in a different situation, like you were uncomfortable and that it would be like fixed when you got home. It was just like a seasonal thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like there was that belief of like, oh, geographical change, like that'll like, that'll fix things. I'll be fine once I'm back in Canada. I'll, I'll be fine. Like there, it was always, I'll be fine when, um, and always expecting this change, which is kind of another like mark of a lot of alcoholics. They also think that way of like, oh, this is just like for this, like, season it's it's these issues that are causing it or like once I'm like back in my regular routine like there's always like another cause for it for why I'm drinking this way it's not my fault yeah exactly after the break we find out how Julie learned to confront her addiction today's episode is brought to you by next hey Pat do you remember your first day of university Yeah, it was kind of a blur though. I mean, I feel like I jumped into a sea of school spirit, social clubs, face paint, and I didn't know how to swim. It was actually super exciting and overwhelming at the same time. I remember distinctly the moment my parents' green Windstar van door closed and they officially left me alone to sink or swim. Living in residence with a roommate who I would soon discover hated me, with no friends and no foggy idea how I was going to make it. I mean, I really struggled in my faith that year and it wasn't until second year that I got hooked into a community of Christians that I really started to flourish. Yeah, I think I prefer my experience to yours. I, um, I do too. Yeah, yours sounds kind of sucky. Yeah, it was. If I had to go back in time, I would certainly try to figure that community piece out before the fateful van door closed. Next is an initiative from Power to Change that exists to make that post-secondary transition a little less sucky by helping you find your next community. Get it? Next? Next uh, community? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. good, eh? For more information, head to p2c.sh slash next. What, what changed? Did anything change when you came back um, from that mission trip? Um, so when I came back, well, when I was in Uganda, um, I had made that decision and was accepted to uh, join staff with the student ministry that I had been working for, that I was involved in as a student. Uh, so the kind of the game plan when I came back to Canada was to continue support raising and then go move out east. Um, which even in, so when I was in Uganda and like wrestling over this, this is when like the, the, there was like this crossover of like 
if I'm actually a Christian and like I'm trying to live a spirit filled, how can I be doing this and using alcohol this way, but still feel like God is leading me in student ministry? Like this, this I'm, I can't comprehend this. Um, but also like, okay, God, like I'll listen to you. And there was like, in that situations where I'm like wrestling with these two different things, like there was no answer. And sometimes it was like, okay, well, I'm just going to like drink these thoughts away. Um, and other times it was sitting there being like, God, like I, I can't handle this. I'm trying to, um, but also like, I don't know what to do. Um, so like, and, and then the thought of like, well, this will end once I'm back in Canada was like, okay, so this is like, again, just like a temporary thing. So I came back to Canada, I was support raising. And in November, after I'd gotten back, I'd got back in June, I uh, moved out east. Um, and then again, in that kind of time span, the drinking, it reduced. But again, anytime I did drink, it was alcoholically. Or like, if I wasn't drinking, it'd be like, oh, like I know that in the future, I will like, next week I'm going out with friends. Like, I'll be able to have drinks then. It's there like- It's there for you. Yeah, and, and you like the thoughts were still there. Of like, I'd like a drink, but I'm not gonna have a drink. Like which, it, and it was partially, I think, like living back with my parents during this time of support raising, like they don't have alcohol in their house. It just felt weird to do it there uh, for some reason. Um, so then I moved out east and then like the geographical change, it didn't actually change anything. Um, I like being in a new city, find, trying to find a new church, um, you know, trying to make friends. It kind of like, again, all those like different aspects of like trying to deal with that, trying to deal with life um, led to drinking. Um, and it's what was so conflicting to me was like, this is a city that I love, that I wanted to be in. Uh, you know, my brother was out there. One of my good friends was there. Like I, I knew people in the city, like I had connections. And yet I was still drinking this way was super conflicting. So, you know, one thing that I'm wondering, the thought occurs to me, you know, people don't drink because it doesn't feel good or people don't drink because it doesn't feel like it works. So my question would be like during this time, like, was it working to waylay your fears or to make you feel better? Or like, was there what like, was it positive in any way? It was temporarily positive, which is why, like, you'll, you'll, like, oh, like, tonight, like, I'm just going to drink a little more than I should because it's been a rough day. And then you wake up the next morning and be like, all those same problems are here, so maybe I'll just have a drink again. Um, and you kind of string it together and, like, spend your weekend not making good decisions or just, like, avoiding the things that you know you need to deal with. And still, like, in those moments of, like, thinking, like, okay, I've, I've had too much to drink. I'm at the point of, like, tip tipsiness or like really buzzed and still like struggling of like god like i don't know how i got to this point like i set out to have like two drinks just to kind of take the edge off like I, like i didn't in those moments know how to like deal with what was happening like i it was outside of my control but then there was also these obsessive thoughts like i set out to have two drinks i'm now like six in like i don't know how i got here and i don't know how to stop and then came the thoughts of like, but I'm a Christian, like I should just be able to like, I'm gonna like repent, I'll ask for forgiveness and I won't have this many next time. Like there was this genuine belief of like, it won't get to this extent next time. Um, and thinking like, I just need to be more spirit filled. I just need to have more self-control. Like the idea of like, you shouldn't drink at all. It never crossed my mind. The idea that I could even be an alcoholic, it never crossed my mind. Yeah, it follows a familiar pattern, I think, to anyone who is addicted to anything. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if people are listening to this now thinking, oh, no, I do that with things yeah. all the time. <laughs> like, there's this process of, like, justification yeah. and, like, excusing it and just saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, today it's fine. Or, like, I actually don't have a problem. I could, like, I could stop whenever I want to. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that was a pattern for a while. Were there any key moments or conversations or anything that... that led you to to get past that and and feel like oh maybe this actually is uh something that i need to address in a different way than just simply doing better um so around um so i'd moved there in november this is around the end of january i had housemates who uh, they kind of knew what was going on but certainly not to the extent that it was um and they kind of suggested like you like i'm not in a place where i can help you but you should like 
find someone to talk to and deal with this. Um, and the way that I kind of took that was rejection. Um, so I was like, okay, like if, if this person who I know really well is like, this is how I've taken what she or what they have like said to me, like, I can't tell anyone else. Cause like, that'll just be more rejection. Um, and so I like, I like started processing myself of like making a list of like, okay, let's, let's like figure out what is the, like what's sparking this. And like, I'll just cut that out. And so like, I, I go through and make this list and I get to the end and I'm like, so basically like any feeling makes me want to drink. Like there's no, um, bad time to drink. There's no bad time of day to drink. Um, and like at, at this time it was still outside of the hours of work. So like I'm functioning and that's one of the other reasons why I was like, this can't be like that big of a problem. I'm still doing my job based on like how I've seen alcoholics depicted in movies and media, like they're like falling over drunk, they're losing their job, their like life savings are spent. None of those things are happening to me. So like it can't be that bad. Um, but I did at the end of January decide like, uh, like I can just take a break. Um, so I stopped drinking for about a, a month and a half period. And then it, I was reading this book at, at the time. Um, it's called something like the girl on the train or something. Um, it was made into a movie. If you want to check that out. I watched the first three minutes. I couldn't, I couldn't deal. I'm sure the book's really good though. Um, it, it's good. It's super descriptive. Um, which for me was a bad thing because the main character in that book was an alcoholic and the way that the author described like the process of like that first drink of like, oh, like that, like release, I was like, oh my gosh, like I need a drink. Um, (laughs) so after like a month and a half, I was like, okay, like that's a long time. I can have a drink. And then it just kind of like escalated super quickly because then my housemate was gone for the majority of that spring. So it's not like I was trying to hide it at home anymore. Um, and yeah, think like it just got more out of control than, than I realized it really was. But that whole time, like, again, like the disease, like mentally, like it's completely distorting what is, um, like truth from, from a lie of like still believing, like I'm completely sober minded. I'm in complete control. Like this isn't that bad. I can stop if I want to. I just stopped for a month and a half. So that's proof enough. That sort of thing. Even your words there just, you know. I didn't have to hide it from my roommate. Um, were you consciously hiding the behavior? Like like where you're able to sit back and realize this is what I'm doing? Like, because that would imply, you know, you had some sort of recognition that it was wrong or mm-hmm. it wasn't help, healthy or helpful for you. Right. Um, which in that, like I definitely was hiding like empty bottles or like I'd take out the recycling so I could like stick stuff in last, last minute. And oh, what a helpful roommate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which like in, in my mind, like m- the thoughts are saying like there's some Christians that they're just a little more like conservative. They didn't understand that like it's okay to have a drink. Um, it was this twisting of like the, like what other Christians would be thinking of me of like, there's just some people that are a little more like uptight about it. Um, and like, I don't need their judgment, so they don't need to know, which is a complete distortion of like what was actually going on. Um, cause my, my housemate, like, um, they were a Christian that like, they would drink occasionally. Like, it's not like they were this super conservative view on alcohol. Um, but like the, my thoughts were so twisted that like, it was justified by like, well, there's Christians out there that are super uptight and like, they just, they don't need to know this. Like, they're the people that you don't invite to the party sort of thing. You mentioned um, earlier that this is just over three years of of sobriety for you now. Mm-hmm. So this is coming up beginning of June. Right, yeah. It'll be three years, which to me seems so crazy because there are still days where I'm like, this can't, like, I'm just being dramatic. This yeah. can't actually be real. Like, maybe I could have another drink. And then, like... The thoughts of like, well, it wouldn't just be one drink because what's the point of having one drink that doesn't do anything? And like, well, maybe like just like do a two minute or two drink max. Like, well, no, because that's not like that's not enough to really get to a, like a, a nice like place. Like you're not going to get really like buzzed or tipsy from that. Well, what if you just like drank one weekend a month? Well, like why like why just one? Why not? Why not every weekend? And then it just like it snowballs completely. Yeah. 
So yeah, you were me- you mentioned before also that uh, like you just tried to be better and that didn't work, and then you mm-hmm. started coming to a realization like, no, this is an issue. You're, like your friend read that checklist and you're like, oh, I just want to drink all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what were what were the steps or what um, what helped you go from from that to making the step of actually getting to this point here? Um, so there was kind of like three different scenarios that had an impact on that. Um, one of them being, so throughout this time, it was part of my regular routine to go to the gym. Um, one of the friends that I worked out with, like was a, you know, pretty big partier. Um, but I showed up one morning, it was like a Wednesday morning and I was still like a, a little bit hungover. Um, and I told them like, this is going to be like more of a, like slow workout for me because like just not feeling that well from last night. And, um, this friend was shocked, like his, his reaction being like, that's not normal. And to hear this coming from someone that like, who would self-describe as like, yeah, I'm a partier. I drink a lot of like, oh, if, if they're, if they think this isn't normal, like, like maybe I should like think about this more. Um, so there was that, there was like, this isn't normal, like weeknights, like it, it had gotten to the point where like I would drink on weeknights. Um, and to hear like, oh, that's not normal. So I'm thinking about that. Um, and then I, I got to a point one night where like I messaged a friend of a friend, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> um, so going back to like mid-January in a conversation that I have no recollection of, aside from my housemate mentioning this friend of a friend who was also a Christian and recovering alcoholic, um, like I, in that moment recalled this person and messaged them through Facebook and was like, Hey, so like, I just want to kind of pick your brain about Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, can we meet up? Um, and my thought behind that was like, not that I was an alcoholic, but like, this is more of a struggle for me than most people. Like maybe they can help have some pointers, that sort of thing. Uh, so I met with this friend of a friend and she went through this like checklist that AA has of like signs that you could potentially be an alcoholic. And if you tick off like, it's like four to 12 or something, like you're, you're probably an alcoholic. Um, so we go through that list and I'm like hit more than four. Um, and just like sitting there in complete shock, we kind of like tie things up. I leave. I still have a couple of meetings that day. Um, but I'm walking home and just like denial and shock. Like how can a Christian, um, missionary who comes from like a really like great home, be an alcoholic that like that blew my mind it didn't make any sense to me um but the minute my work day was over like I started drinking just to like get rid of this thought of like I could be an alcoholic which like is ridiculous like hey like get some help now um but um it wasn't quite yet um but in that meeting this friend of a friend she invited me to go to an AA meeting on a Saturday morning so we met on the Wednesday like I drank that night probably drank the Thursday night, uh, we went to the AA meeting on a Saturday morning and it was a birthday meeting for them. So every month, um, an AA group would celebrate all the birthdays of that month. So hitting sobriety milestones, uh, you know, one year, five years, like however many years, like it was just a bunch of birthdays that people were celebrating. Um, so I sit through that meeting, I like still in complete shock. Like I, I'm not one of these people. I, this cannot be my life. This for sure cannot be my rela- reality. Like I can't be that bad. Um, I leave in complete shock with the intention of like, I'm just going to go home and like process this. Um, ended up going straight to the, like the liquor store um, and bought alcohol and like drank the rest of the day of like just not being able to like comprehend and deal like what the heck is going on with my life? How did I get to this point? Um, so, and drank most of that weekend, just like out of not knowing how to deal with this and not knowing what do I do now. Um, and then on that Monday evening, there was an AA group that met like five minutes from my apartment and this friend of a friend, she texted me to come with her. And, um, so I had been drinking that day. Like I took the day off just wanting more time to process and, um, So I'd been drinking, I fell asleep, and I woke up right at 7.30 when this meeting was supposed to start. And I texted her back saying, hey, just got your text. Like, is it too late to come? And she said that it wasn't, and just to meet her there. Um, And so again, sat through another AA meeting. 
And um, at the end, she kind of walked up with me to get a 24-hour trip. So that's a commitment to not drink for the next 24 hours. And a bunch of phone numbers of people that attended that group. Because um, in A, they tell you, like, if you're having thoughts, if, like, you're just the obsessiveness is going, like, reach out, um, text someone, call someone, that sort of thing. Um, so that was that was that. Like, that was the beginning of, like, okay, like, we're going to stop drinking. I think one of the in- most interesting parts of this uh, conversation, it's all interesting, but what I what I find um, fascinating is that, like, you you say that you, you never thought that like a Christian could become an alcoholic. It's always the, the other way around. It's like, Oh, Christians mm-hmm. aren't alcoholics. Like alcoholics become Christians and then their, their lives are, you know, are changed and, yeah. and it's different. And like God saves you from that. Um, what was it like being, um, in like a Christian community, like as a missionary, like, was it, um, was it helpful? Like, did you have friends that were like, that helped to guide you along the process that were you thankful that we were in a Christian community? Um, well, kind of to two parts of that question or two answers to that question. So, uh, because my life had been so transient, like this whole time, like I was on this traveling team, I was in Uganda, I was at home, like my parents home for a little bit. Then I like moved out East. Like there was no like consistent Christian community, like support system. Um, but then the times where I was in Christian community, like there's this facade of like, well, they all have it together. They all seem to be like they don't struggle with this. Like, it's just me. Like there's something wrong with me. Um, but around this time that like I stopped drinking this friend of a friend, um, she went to a church that part of it's, it's common language was talking about like life's messiness. Um, they mentioned addiction in their church. Like it was a, a church in the city, which I know one huge difference was having grown up in the suburbs where it's a predominantly white middle-class church. Like, it's all like a manicured Sunday. Like everyone looks their best. Everyone like talks about how great life is. Um, whereas being in this church in the city, like just like super upfront, very common language, like everyone is aware and like upfront about like life is messy. Like we're figuring this out. Um, by God's grace, we're doing life together in community. There are people in our church that have struggled with addiction. There are people that are struggling with addiction now. And so to hear that and be like, oh, there's other Christians that like, this is something that they are addressing, that it is actually present in their lives. It was such like a a relief and change compared to what I had experienced in terms of Christian communities that I had been in. Um, So um, initially when I like started going to this church, like newly sober, like still in complete shock and almost denial of like, okay, I'm not gonna drink, but like this still, this can't be my reality. I'm just being dramatic, like I'll give it a couple months sort of thing. Um, so anyone that I told it was kind of a, a need to know basis or like they saw that I like was entering like an AA meeting and like feel like I need to tell them now. Um, and anyone that I did um, like share this with, they were supportive in that like, they like thanked me or yeah, they thanked me for telling them. Um, they kind of like said how brave I was for actually like, telling them um, and they like apologize for having to struggle through it by myself. Um, But again, like within my first year of sobriety, I wasn't really public with it at all. Um, As I mentioned, like it was more of a need to know basis. Um, I know one good experience I had was, so this like my final year, or my first year of sobriety was my final year working for uh, this student ministry. And coming up towards the end, I was gonna be helping with leading a mission trip. And so I told the like leader of the mission trip, just cause like up until that point, I'd been going to kind of AA meetings, kind of meeting with a sponsor, um, but realizing that it could be kind of a bit of a like shock to the system to be now like leaving the supports that I had, being away from my church. Um, and it was taken really well, uh, super supportive. Um, they showed a lot of care. Um, and also like they wanted to know my story of like, okay, like, thank you for telling me, like, what happened? Like, how are you doing now? Um, so they showed a lot of care that way. Yeah. And it, was it the same person you mentioned in an earlier conversation that like, um, that there was a moment where they like celebrated with you as well, or is this a difference? Yeah. So this, uh, same, the same person who was a friend of mine, um, they, so during this mission trip, like I hit my one year of sobriety, which like for me, like it, I did I didn't know how I was going to handle it. Um, and on that day, we were kind of in transit between leaving the country we were in to go to another one for debrief. So, like, I just, like, it was, 
I, I'm, I think I, I was in a lot of just like shock that day of like, how do I comprehend this? Like I, I was still trying to understand it. Like I still, even with a year under my belt, couldn't understand how I actually became an alcoholic or like was a recovering alcoholic. And um, like, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I didn't feel like I could celebrate this thing because there was still so much shame attached to it. Um, but this friend, she gave me a card and she gave me a candies and it just showed a lot of care on their part of like, I want to celebrate how God is redeeming this in your life. Like one year is a really long time. Like, that's awesome. I want to celebrate that for you at a time where like I couldn't actually celebrate it for myself, um, which was like in hindsight, like that was incredible of, of them to do that. What was the hardest part of that year? Like, was it, so there's probably, there's a few different parts that I can think of, like, you know, admitting to yourself that you have a problem or the not drinking part Mm -hmm. or like being open with people or what, what aspects of coming clean, getting sober and all of that were the hardest for you? Oh goodness. All of it. Um, especially within like that first month of sobriety, like I can just remember like pacing my apartment being like, I just want to drink so badly right now. Um, and even having a hard time, like, so in AA, like it's like a really amazing community for reaching out for help for people understanding for like no judgment of like, it sucks being an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. It sucks that this is something that you have to deal with. Um, but they're all, a lot of recovering alcoholics are really good at reaching out for help of like state, like sharing what's going on, like with the thoughts that they're experiencing, that sort of thing. Um, and for me, like even the idea of, of reaching out for help was still really hard. So like, I, I still felt like I needed to deal with it on my own. Like I was going to AA meetings, like occasionally I would talk to a friend outside of those meetings, but it, it was like those thoughts, like I still felt like I was alone and that like they're in my head, I just need to deal with them. Um, but they're like constantly like racing, just have a drink. Like a drink won't be that like bad, you can do it. Like it wasn't that big of a problem. You can handle it now. Um, those sort of thoughts. So like pacing my apartment, just being like, nope, we're not going to do this. Like, just like get to like a point where, you know, like the liquor store closes, like just make it another hour. Um, and then, yeah. So like, I think that first month was super hard. Um, but even just like within that first year of trying to figure out as a Christian, like how do I actually maintain sobriety like what does recovery look like because in AA they like it's a spiritual program it's all about um you know admitting your powerlessness over alcohol and like surrendering to your higher power and like living out of that higher power and helping your like they say a higher power for a Christian is God Uh, allowing God to like you know give you self-control um that sort of thing. And to me, I'm like, well, that's what I was trying to do before I stopped drinking. Like I was constantly asking God for help and like nothing happened, like that didn't help. So like what is different now? And it was the fact that there were a community of people, but I still felt this disconnect of like, but none of you are Christians. If this is a spiritual program, shouldn't I be able to like be in community with like Christians and people that I know and have like established trust and relationship with? Um, so yeah, feeling a lot of conflict with, with like kind of those two thoughts. Yeah. One of the, one of the lines from, uh, one of the articles you wrote or blogs that you wrote that really struck me was, uh, I'm going to not quote it, but paraphrase Mm -hmm. it, that your AA group felt more safe than your church group. And, you know, that made me really sad, uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, as a Christian, I might be doing the same thing to someone near me that like, how would you, how would you comment about what made it feel safer, uh, to be in your AA group than your church group? Mm -hmm. Um, so in an AA group, it's like, everyone acknowledges how powerless they are over alcohol and they need each other to maintain their sobriety. They need each other in recovery. And like everyone's just straight up honest with like, today sucked. Uh, There was a lot of obsessive thoughts. I wanted to drink. I want to drink right now, but I'm here instead. And I'm like in community and I'm speaking 
truth to those lies. Um, whereas in a lot of Christian communities, um, what I have experienced, what I still kind of, what is still my perspective is like, there is this like category of what is acceptable to admit to. And then what like is like too deep. So like, I'd have no problem saying, oh, it's been like a rough week. I've had a hard time making God a priority and getting into the Bible. I'm having a hard time loving my housemate or my neighbors, um, that sort of thing. Whereas if I would be like, well, like this, this week's been rough, like just a lot of obsessive thoughts about alcohol, like I want to drink. Like, it's almost like that's like inappropriate to, to say, like if you have a Bible study group and everyone's going around being like, oh, like I've had a hard time loving my kids this week. Oh, my husband and I have been having conflict. Oh, like I just haven't been getting into the word. And I'm like, oh, like I've been ta- like thinking about alcohol a lot. I really want to drink. Like, it's like the whole room goes silent type of like mentality. Mm-hmm. I I think that's probably one of the main points uh, why we wanted to do this podcast is that like it's just a weird phenomenon for me to to experience like a Christianity where people just are terrified of talking about certain things or going a little bit deeper. Like I have the same mm-hmm. experience of you know like you're in a small group and you just have like the Sunday school like pray for me requests. Where yeah. it's like I want to read my Bible more or like you know, I just want to like prioritize my life a little better. And then someone does that. It takes the air out of the room and people mm-hmm. don't know how to respond. And I think the optimist in me wants to think that like people want to maybe engage with that, but they don't know how. They don't know like the language. They don't know how how far into someone's life they're like permitted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and in reading your blog, I actually like I, I look back on myself and I'm like, man, there have been situations in my life where someone has opened up to me and I felt paralyzed. And I'm the questions in my head are like, should I dig deeper? Should I ask them to act, like to, to open their life to me more? And if someone says they've had a traumatic experience, is it worse for me to um, like say nothing or to like, I don't know, get them to relive it and tell me, are they tired of talking about it? Um, so what would your advice be to, 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 like, to Christians in that scenario where someone opens up to them uh, and they kind of don't know what to do? Which is like... That's, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think like for me personally, anytime, like in the past three years of like, um, you know, whether it be like one-on-one sharing with a friend about it or like just being up front and being like, Hey, like I'm a recovering alcoholic or like even with posting the different blogs, like on the blog, um, to me, that was like a step of like, Hey, this is something in my life. Um, but there were not a lot of people actually like you know, if I was in like meeting with a friend and told them they didn't ask more questions. And to me, I was like, okay, I'm taking this first step of like telling you. And to me, that's like invitation to like, you can ask questions if you want without me. And maybe I should have just been like, Hey, so this is happening. Ask me any questions you want. But even in situations where I did that, like they just kind of seem stunned. Um, yeah. Did you see the latest Avengers movie? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah really hard to watch yeah. <laughs> um and and a lot of christians like they they don't know how to enter that space and i i don't think we're good at leaning into hard conversations or even yeah. admitting like honestly like i don't know how to respond but i like i love you and i care for you and i want to learn more about your story if you're willing to share um that sounds like a great response that like should be logical but for some reason yeah. it's just hard to to say those words it yeah. is would you say there are like questions or phrases or things that are just supremely not helpful? I know. So in kind of the, the span of, of telling people, I can only think of one situation where the response was like, if I got that early in my sobriety, I probably would not have told anyone else. Um, and it was a situation where um, it, this had come out and what was being like, what the person on the other side of the conversation wanted was, um, like me asking for forgiveness for like breaking, you know, like contract, uh, like lifestyle contract. Um, and to hear, hear them just seeing the, the sin in like this huge thing that's happened in my life was the least helpful thing possible. Um, because with alcoholism, yes, it's fair to say that there were sinful decisions that I made in that process, but alcoholism is also a disease, um, which I don't think a lot of Christians would 
like, first of all, it's not like a lot of Christians are looking into alcoholism. Um, but I think a lot of Christians still think like, oh, it's sin. Therefore we can deal with it the way, the same way that we deal with any sin. Yeah. Just be better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is what I was trying to do. I was like, well, I just need to be more spirit filled. Like I need to like pray for self-control and those things weren't working. So for someone to hear someone's story and only see sin in it is, is not helpful whatsoever. Cause there, there's a whole story behind it of like what led to this of like, oh, there's genetic predisposition cause there's alcoholism in my family. And like, there was all these compounding factors and like, there's so much more to it than just like I sinned against God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the distinction that sticks out to me so much is just, in just helping like empathize with people who are struggling with things like this is like distinguishing between sin and sickness and like sickness is like a result of of sin, mm-hmm. right? But when someone is sick, you don't you don't blame them or judge them for being sick. Yeah, you walk alongside them and you you try to care for them and you help them. And I think just historically, maybe people have just associated like things like alcoholism with, oh, you're just making bad choices. Mm-hmm. You're indulgent and that kind of thing. And trying to view it as something that like people, it's a disease, it's a sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, it should it should help people come a little bit closer to like empathizing and caring and, and wanting to, to walk alongside it rather than sit there in judgment. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, and it, it makes me think like the flip side of that, you know, don't just see the sin in, in my life and judge me help me what is what are some phrases or questions that you wish that people asked you more of or you kind of touched on that a little bit but Mm -hmm. um even just asking like about the like what happened like how were you handling life like what's the story behind it because for for me when i've shared this with someone and and they've like they've been supporting that they've like thanked me for sharing with them and like said sorry for like that i struggle with that um but now i'm thinking oh you're just like you're probably making a lot of assumptions or you're judging me because you don't actually know the full story um so so to show a level of care where you're wanting to know more um because i think that increases empathy for the person and also addicts in general um because i think like in like society has this view that addicts are like lazy, like no good people that like, like you got what you deserved, like you drank too much, like that sort of thing. Um, and that's not, that's not going to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, just one quick question that came to mind um, that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Uh, for the person out there who is thinking like, uh I have this problem, I should maybe go to a group or, but AA or, you know, if it's not alcohol, like whatever other A meetings, mm-hmm. uh, are not a Christian ministry, you know, why wouldn't I seek out some Bible study group or a Christian ministry or, or something like that? Like, why go to, why go to AA? I feel like I'm probably not the best person to answer this because like, I, I don't currently go to AA. Um, just because I, I hit a point of realizing that like AA isn't the only way to do recovery and be in sobriety. Um, I would say like, if you don't know where to go, like find an adult, um, <laughs> which like I'm realizing in hindsight, like that would have been helpful. Cause like I was 22 when like it initially, like that first like kind of switch happened of like 22 year olds, like they're still kids. They don't know what, like what's going on in life. No offense to 22 year olds out there. I'm 29 and I have no idea. So Um, I relate now. Like whether it be like a path, like someone who is like safe that you feel safe sharing this with, but can either um, like lead you in the right direction of like, maybe you need to speak to a counselor. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's someone who has dealt with addiction themselves. And there are, there are Christian recovery programs like um, Celebrate Recovery. So AA is not the only thing out there to help you. Um, I was told recently of like, there's no one right way to do recovery. Like whatever is helping you remain sober is the right way for you. And that could change over time. Like I, in my first year of sobriety, I like, I was in a for three months and then I like stopped going and the thoughts got super bad and just like life was not good. And I went back to AA for a while and I had a sponsor for a little bit and then I moved to Ontario and like, like it's it's gonna have its ups and downs it's gonna look different at different stages 
um, there's no right way of reaching out for help as long as like you are actually doing that. Just before we wrap up, um, I, I know in doing some personal work with like some of the things that I struggle with, my counselor has said, you know, relapse is part of recovery. And I'm like, skeptical when I first heard her say that I'm like uh, I'm not trying to relapse here I'm trying to recover and um but I have you know since then as I relapse I have had you know less shame and and so on associated with that because I'm like I'm still growing I'm still taking positive steps how mm-hmm. how would you comment on that in your personal story um Good question. I haven't relapsed. Um, I think that in some recovery communities, there's like too much clinging to like, you can't relapse um, because then I'll just keep happening over and over. Um, I think that we should have the perspective, especially like outsiders, like if someone in your kind of like um, you know, friend group or like part of your community relapses is like, I personally, like one of the things that like, don't, don't do it. Cause like, I'm afraid of the shame that it's going to feel like there's already lingering shame from like the fact that I am a recovering alcoholic. Um, and to think, Oh, like if I relapse and started drinking again, like so many people know, like that I'm about to reach three years, like then I'd be back to zero of like, we're not defined by that. Like the number of you know, months or years of sobriety were not defined by, um, like being a recovering alcoholic or recovering anything, um, that our identity is in Christ and that like to be brothers and sisters, to be a community, like we need to rather rally around the people that need support without thinking about like the sin that you're struggling with and like whether you relapsed one time or a thousand times, like continue to be there and show love. And even if it does mean putting up boundaries of like, maybe you can't be in their life because of the, like, just they are at a point of recklessness where they're, they're not reaching out for help or they're not doing the best they can of like continuing to love them, um, and be there for them from a distance. I don't know if this is actually answered your question. I feel like I've gone down a rabbit trail. It's okay. No, it's a yeah, it's a good rabbit trail. This is a like this whole conversation is like a way to process and go through this, right? Like mm-hmm. we were mentioning um, before in our intro that like we're not experts and like again, you're uh, on a journey, right? Like you yeah. haven't come to the end of your journey, so um, we're hoping that this discussion will uh, will be just that, like an opportunity to have a platform to to have those conversations. And I think one of the things that's just I I'm taking away from this that's actually hit me, and I hope it will affect how I approach these things in the future, is that like the fear of, of not having those conversations with people who I know are struggling. Um, I should just get over that and like, and, and take a step towards having that conversation because in silence, we're actually like hurting those other people. If they don't want to talk, they can, they can not, they can choose to say no. Um, but just by like reaching out and, and asking questions and showing interest and care in, in someone's life, it gives them the opportunity to know that they're not being judged. And, um, I don't, I, I think I could sacrifice myself looking stupid in a couple of conversations for the, for the sake of, yeah. um, of having that good conversation. What, what would be some final thoughts that you'd like to leave with people who are listening to this mm-hmm. and might actually really resonate with what you're saying? Or- um, I have a couple. The first one, going back to Eric's question actually about relapse. Um, I think silence is a huge thing that contributes to relapse. Um, for one, the person who is relapsing their silence of like not reaching out for help and being in a community, being in a group where they're silent about like stuff like addiction, if that's a conversation that never happens, like of course you're not gonna bring it up to people that probably are the ones that care about you and love you the most. Um, so I think silence is a, a huge reason why relapse happens and a huge way that um, we can help those that are struggling to not relapse is like be there for another be there for one another, have those hard conversations, not know how to have those conversations and still have them. Um, another thing is celebrate your friends and their recovery. Um, celebrate for them when they're not actually able to do it themselves. Um, and there was one more thing I was gonna say that I totally can't remember. 
Yeah, it's gone. Those are good ones, though. Yeah, I, I want to personally thank you for the blog, for uh, being so open and starting the conversation. You know, we've called this podcast Undiscussed because these are things that are undiscussed in the Christian community often. And like you say, silence doesn't breed anything positive. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible even talks about bringing your sin into the light and bringing things to the light because, you know, God says, what do I have in common with darkness? And so as we as we talk about these things and as we bring things into the light, there's tremendous opportunity for healing, for wholeness, for growth. And, uh, you know, I know that your blog even sparked good conversations between Pat and I as we're, you know, walking to... Timmy's to not be addicted to uh, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> coffee. That's the, that's the truth. I need to get over this coffee addiction, man. The acceptable <laughs> sin and, and other things. <laughs> but uh, you know, people like you in the community who are taking that step of bravery to be open and to talk about things. You know, I want to celebrate that and really thank you uh, because there's not enough people doing that. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and letting me share my story one of the reasons why I did is like I I, when I was struggling I didn't know any Christians who became alcoholics I still don't personally know anyone who's had that experience so hopefully this you know helps those that are struggling and for those that just aren't aware of the struggle with addiction that it's kind of opened their eyes and um, brought more empathy to them for those that are struggling yeah, I strongly feel like there will be a lot of people out there who will identify with what you're saying and we'll be glad that we're we're starting to have this conversation. So really appreciate you coming in and sharing with us. This episode of Undiscussed was produced by Patrick Erskine and Eric Humphrey. Editing done by Ben Skinner and the music was produced by Ian Post. Add music by Cody Martin. Go to p2c.sh slash undiscussed to find more episodes, show notes, and information about our podcast. That's p2c.sh slash undiscussed. Also, remember to subscribe if you like what you hear, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at undiscussedpod, all one word. If you've got feedback for us, don't leave it undiscussed. Next time on Undiscussed, we'll talk about sexual abuse. I think the the biggest key really is to is recognizing that darkness and light exist in opposites, and the darkness is there, and we don't pretend it's not there. We acknowledge it in all of its ugliness, and in all of its horror, and we say, "Look at this! Is what sin does. Sin destroys. Satan destroys. It's horrific. Don't do this." You know, and that's that's what I tell my kids. You know, obviously they're a little bit young to know uh, the depth of what we're walking through. But that's a message that I want them to understand is, you know, when, when someone is hurt, when they do something that is sinful and it hurts someone around them, or they suffer the consequences, that's what I tell them. Look at how awful sin is. Look at how terrible this is. It destroys, it ravages everything, it hurts everyone around you. This is what Satan wants for you. So run the opposite direction. Run to Christ.